Hi everyone and welcome to the Digital by Daniel podcast. In this episode, we will try to wrap up the very eventful year of 2020 and look into a little bit of 2021. So I think no one could have probably predicted that 2020 would be the year where we would have a global pandemic. And I think no one could probably have predicted how much digital would accelerate during the year. I also don't think anyone could have expected the, the you know the suffering that some some people have gone through this year. So we are definitely hoping for that 2021 will be a, will be a much better year for many of us. But let's dive into the e-commerce and digital side of things. First of all, this year has been the year where a lot of people discovered online shopping, and not only online shopping but also shopping in categories that they didn't usually shop online one of the biggest fortified bastions if you will in e-commerce has been the grocery side of things where uh, a lot of people have preferred usually from old habits i would say it's i'm not sure it's preferred in the sense that they actually uh, think about it anyway have preferred to shop in store uh, and this has of course changed during the, the pandemic you can see growth rates in in um, groceries online sales be about with individual retailers i think it was kroger in the us that cited that they had a growth rate of a 103 percent i think uh, costco had 300 um, percent in the us and totally the us um, grocery online sales market is predicted now to grow 53 percent in 2020 compared to the previous year so it has been quite an acceleration another side of things is the, uh, the meal delivery services and grocery delivery services like um, Uber Eats, Instacart, for example, and so on, they have seen huge increases. And some of these services are also starting to become profitable. Uh, they have reported some profitable quarters. I think it was Instacart. So it's um, you can see that the model is starting to work, even though there will probably be some consolidation in, in that area moving forward since there are so many players. Uber Eats, for example, bought um, Postmates this year in the US and there's also been some other consolidations in other markets in the meal delivery and grocery delivery area but still people have discovered that well you can get your you can get your restaurant meals um, delivered to your door and um, it has been become more and more mainstream there are also various studies on um, who are actually the, the shoppers now in, in e-commerce and it's basically in all age groups but one age group that has increased a lot is the senior citizens. So they have started to discover online shopping, grocery shopping online, and so on. And of course, also because they are worried to be exposed to the virus. I think I'm pretty, just a personal story here. I think my, my 92-year-old father actually started getting his groceries delivered and uh, bought online. He was kind of amazed that it worked that well, and me too for that matter, because he lives in the middle of, of nowhere, you could say. So I think that's pretty that's pretty cool in a way. If you're going to find some positives in in the pandemic. Furthermore, I think when you look at well a number of and we're going to go through that because we're going to look at some some brands soon as well and what they're saying about the future and e-commerce and so on. But when you look at predictions and so on, you can see that a lot of the predictions right now are that we are not going to see the same growth rates in e-commerce and digital adaptation as we have seen before. But we are definitely have it here to stay so to say it's not really that on when the vaccine is rolled out during next year we are just going to go back to the way it was i think as i said a lot of people have have 
started to see the benefits of buying stuff digitally and through e-commerce. And there are still a lot of benefits. There are also some downsides, of course. You can't see the thing you're buying. Uh, but the upsides are also that you don't need to be exposed to virus or other people. Um, you get your stuff delivered to your door. You don't need to drive anywhere. You save a lot of time, etc., etc. So I think it's it's uh, probably going to continue. Then we will see in what shape or form it's going to be in the future. One thing that I don't see in all these predictions that you get from you know um, the the prediction people is that even though we have seen now that it has accelerated a lot of e-commerce we are still going to go through a lot of changes i think in the area because e-commerce has never really been built the systems that we have in place the logistics the content the experience it hasn't been built for these kind of numbers for this kind of volume i think we're going to see a lot of changes the coming years in how we shop online uh, we used to i mean we used to be reliant on this you know add everything to the cart go to check out just like you would in a normal store but in a way, that's that's something that was invented in 1997, right? I think we will see a lot of changes. It's not because it's evident that, you know, the, the platforms and so on that we have, they are not really cut out for maybe grocery buying online. I think still is pretty clunky, to be honest, in many cases. When you're buying your groceries online, uh, there are probably easier user interfaces to do, much more to do with content, different sizes of different things. I mean, if you're buying your milk online, which I do sometimes, try to do it and find the right size, get the right size delivered. It's very, very difficult because you can't really see the different sizes. There's still no standardization implemented on how sizes should be, etc., etc. And that's just for groceries. If you go down into other areas, I think we're going to see even more uh, kind of changes there. So, for example, look at I'm buying shoes, for example, online right now because I've been trying to do my running this year a lot. And uh, since Malta is so stony and uh, there's a lot of stone and hard surfaces, I, I wear out my shoes quickly. And buying them online, even though we have these, it's possible, of course, you can buy it through the Nike web stores, which is great in some context. But there's still a lot to do with the content there. Still, if, if you have specific needs, you still can't really find it. And not to mention on Amazon and so on as well. So it's still very mainstream. For example, say that you have a specific type of foot or you're looking for a specific type of sizes and stuff like that there's still a lot to do there from a content perspective from an experience perspective so uh, i think uh, that's uh, that's something that i would see will brands will have to and retailers not to mention will have to um, gear up on and uh, during the next couple of years a company that really grew in 2020 is amazon they grew 30 their sales grew profit and sales grew about 37 percent year over year it's not as big as other retailers that have been reporting you know hundreds of percent of growth but also remember that amazon has uh, already for years building built up the the capability to uh, and the sales in many countries and they are among the top five in most countries where they operate uh, i think the interesting part with amazon is also that even though they grew they also had issues this year with uh, logistics uh, with the pandemic and kind of getting every uh, fulfilling all the orders that were coming in from consumers all over the world so even though even a company like amazon that is focused on these things had difficulties fulfilling all the orders on time uh, keeping stock levels at a reasonable level and uh, re replenishment and so on so that also gives you an indication on that this year hasn't been easy also for, for the e-retailers, even though, I mean, they had sales and everything. It also, as I said before, the systems are not really in place to experience this kind of growth. Yeah. Another thing that we saw this year 
is the introduction of a number of shopping features in um, Facebook and WhatsApp. And Zuckerberg has talked a bit about this for, for some time, about the implementation of e-commerce and connecting it with Facebook. It makes sense in many countries. They have all, in, uh, in WhatsApp, there is now a number of features and also in Facebook. I think an interesting one is also the live feature that they launched this year where you can uh, do live shopping streams and so on on Facebook as a brand or as a Facebook page. And Facebook aren't the only ones. Uh, we have seen the partnership between Shopify and TikTok, for example where there are specific features and so on in TikTok that will be launched um, that will be easier to integrate to a Shopify um, Shopify e-commerce store. Speaking of Shopify, what a year for Shopify. My goodness, they have increased a lot this year. Still, it's a little bit, I don't know if it's surprising. I mean, you can see in their stock price that apparently they are doing something right, even though um, most indications are that familiar brands and so on has been the ones that have been winning in the in the pandemic uh, you can still st see that there is um there is a niche for for independent brands small startup brands and so on and that niche is filled by shopify and of course it makes sense to connect that to tiktok which which is the audience that uh, that buy a lot of these brands maybe they're a little bit too young but uh, fine tiktok is also interesting in a way i think it's it's that someone said that it was uh, who was that some influencer that actually did a lot of content on tiktok but never really liked it that much i don't remember what article it was anyway she said that it was like being slapped in the face opening tiktok i think in a way it's um it's uh, pretty um, it's pretty accurate in some instances but if you look at the way the content is done in tiktok i i think you can see that there will be it will probably be the standard moving forward that we will move, move more towards video video type of content hopefully not everyone will have to be dancing. There might be other content options in TikTok in the future as well. <laughs> E-commerce in China has also surged. China has always been a, I mean, it's always been a pretty advanced e-commerce market, I would say. There are two big plays there, JD and Tmall. Uh, JD did a good year and the Alibaba-owned Tmall did also a very nice year but it was kind of overshadowed for alibaba because um, the, the chinese government is basically after them for anti-competitive behavior and monopoly in um, um, i guess it's monopoly that they're looking for in um, in china and they want to kind of uh, make sure that alibaba doesn't get that not sure what the reason is and i'm not going to get into that here uh, but um, one could speculate Either way, that has been kind of overshadowed for Alibaba and their stock is down a lot uh, this year, even though the Chinese government might have one point that there are two big players, as I said, in China that accounts for most of the e-commerce sales. And maybe that's not something that they, they want uh, in the future. It's the same if you look in some other uh, things that are happening in with the EU and so on that are attacking a number of US companies for anti-competitive behavior. Another story that I think is interesting that hasn't really reached um, the mainstream US uh, global media is um, Wirecard. Wirecard is a payment processor in Germany. It was one of the bigger ones in Europe, I think. Uh, and they went, well, insolvent this year because of fraud in their management, where they did a lot of stuff that you're not supposed to do. I think this was a kind of an interesting thing because it also, for retailers and brands, you can definitely see that even... It's very important who you partner with in e-commerce and uh, who you uh, choose to do business with because when when these kind of players go insolvent it will definitely hurt businesses as well and i mean it's, it was a really bad timing for wirecard to go insolvent during the pandemic when e-commerce is so so much on the agenda 
So I thought we should take a look at some key brands and what they have been up to the last year and how their online sales are doing. So let's start with my favorite brand, Nike. They have had a pretty clear digital strategy all from the top, or actually it's not a digital strategy, it's an overall company strategy, which is basically to become more direct to consumer. They call this the direct acceleration strategy and their digital is a big part of it. They, the Nike digital sales, whoa, globally, uh, was up 84% the last quarter, the, their second quarter financially ending 30th of November. They experienced triple growth in North America and double digit growth in EMEA and China. So you could say that they have been doing pretty well. Their previous quarter was an 82% global increase in digital sales. Their competitor Adidas reported a 51% increase in online sales and totally the Adidas have projected that their online sales will reach about 4 billion euros which is 4.9 billion dollars for the year and the Adidas CEO said in their uh, quarterly report that uh, they think that stores are still here to stay but coupled much closer to the online experience he thinks still that people are pretty bored at sitting at home and are waiting to kind of go to the stores. Uh, we will see, but that's their that's their um, outlook at the moment. Then looking at a really big retail giant and e-commerce giant as well, Walmart. Their e-commerce sales were up 79% in the third quarter. And they also own a place called Sam's Club, which is a buyer's club. Their e-commerce sales was up 41%. And they also reported that their Indian-owned marketplace that Walmart owns in India called Flipkart uh, recorded uh, had a record number of users this quarter. They have never had this many active users. Their CEO said that, and I quote, we think these new customer behaviors will largely persist and we are well positioned to serve customers with the value and experience they are looking for. And their CFO said that the shifting purchasing patterns at the start of the pandemic has accounted for three to five years of acceleration in e-commerce really in a period of weeks and months. So let's look at another brand. Let's go into fashion again and um, we can look at Levi's. They said in their latest quarterly report that their digital sales grew 50% year over year made up about 24% of their third quarter sales, which is the double a year ago. Sales from their Levi.com store was up 52%. And they also noted that online sales have remained strong even as stores reopened during the pandemic. So it's pretty interesting that they're saying this because what they're essentially saying is that people didn't really go back to the stores at the, at the extent that they were hoping for or that they were thinking that, and that the digital still was pretty strong. If we look at something more Swedish, something that's more closer to, uh, to my home, uh, we can look at uh, IKEA, for example. They saw a 43% jump in online sales in the first 12 months of this year. They reached 45.4 billion in sales, but this is total sales and 7% of those sales come from online. I think that's pretty interesting. Even in a business like 
you're buying furniture and home decorating, you would think it's something that people want to see. I'm not that kind of person. I buy all my stuff online, everything, even uh, you know, couches. I would buy. I bought my bed once online. Maybe not the best way to do it, but um, I mean, it's to me personally, I wouldn't do it. But I can definitely imagine that a lot of people would like to see what kind of furniture and so on that they are buying in store before actually buying it. But still, 7% is a good, pretty good testament to that online sales is still something to be accounted for. Definitely, definitely. And IKEA didn't also mention the profitability of online sales here in their report. And I think that's pretty interesting because when you look at a company like Nike, they actually have the reason they have their direct acceleration consumer strategy. Is that what it's called? Yeah, okay. Uh, it is because they see that there's also higher profitability in going direct in the long term because they cut out a number of middlemen and intermediaries that doesn't add any value. And that will actually be the margin that Nike can take from them if, if, they, if they want to. That and then in, also in relation to having total control of the consumer data. But that's not really a problem for IKEA because they are they are don't have any intermediaries in that sense, I would say. So let's let's go into services and um, apps instead, then, which is also an e-commerce area. I, I think uh, an interesting uh, thing we have seen this year is uh, Disney Plus, and Disney is also also have the strategy of going more direct towards consumers. Maybe not, at least not during the pandemic, releasing any uh, movies and so on for the first time in the cinemas. Instead, it's released on Disney Plus. Uh, they reached actually 50 million subscribers by April this year. And when they are now in October, they have 73.7 million subscribers. So it's a pretty good increase. And here you can see also that content companies such as Disney are also taking, are also able to reap some benefit from, from the digital acceleration that's taking place during 2020. So for 2021, what are the key takeaways then going into the to the new year? I'm not going to predict anything because I have actually no idea where it's going. I only know one thing that I have learned this year. It is that if you have built your digital presence and you have your platforms in place, you have already started, you started years ago, uh, maybe you have had, you know, you had some sales, it's, it's working out good for you so far then you're much in a much better position moving into 2021 than having to play catch up with just starting out from basically scratch or from a mispotch of different platforms and systems and marketing strategies and so on. So I think brands that have a, had a coherent approach, investment approach, letting their, you know, their employees and their experts doing their thing for quite some time and building this, they will be in a much better position. So I guess it all com comes down to being prepared. And if you're prepared as a brand and have been working on it, then 2021 is not going to be that. It's just going to be a continuation. But playing catch up in this environment where everything is changing and there is like changing almost weekly, daily at times, and where demand is very difficult to forecast, um, everything is very difficult to forecast at the moment. I mean, some companies are not even giving guidance at the moment for their investors. So how can you know what's what's going on in in the in the world at all? Um, I think those brands are going to have quite some struggles moving forward. So let's just take the example of, of Disney, for example, that I talked about before. I mean, they they have theme parks 
cruises, those kind of things, they are quite, they've been hurt by the pandemic, no question about it. But they have also had this Disney Plus in the background that they have been building continuously and they have been buying content for it, rights for it and marketing for it and so on. And now they have the possibility to, to reap the benefits and get some offset from it. The uh, probably it has only been you know some s- smaller part of Disney before now it's one of the the bigger parts. So again, preparation, 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 long term view of things. That's when you win in the area of digital, I think. And I mean, it hasn't been like there have been a shortage of people saying that digital is coming. It has been on the management agenda for for years in most companies, but it's from having it on the agenda. To doing a good execution and a good long-term execution on it that's the key another takeaway that i have from all this is that um, you can see that there's a new target group coming into e-commerce that there is a new demographic some of them are a little bit older or some of them are maybe not used to buying online to the extent that uh, previously has been the case so i think a lot of retailers and brands will have to work on how they communicate and what kind of content and so on they're putting up there to make it really clear clearer uh, for the mainstream user and also guide them better on how to buy things i think as i said before early on in this podcast i think there's still a lot to do there um, even though i know a lot of it's not really about just getting the product up on the on the website it's also Uh, making sure that people find the right product Uh, it's also something that uh, you as a brand or as a retailer will uh, will also benefit from because you will of course um, decrease the number of returns you get the number of complaints you get and so on so keep that in mind for 2021 another takeaway is that all touch points are becoming shoppable I would say and it's even more evident now after the pandemic uh, has been going on for a while what I mean by this is basically every everywhere where you have a consumer interaction uh, you will see that those those touch points are moving more and more more towards integrating e-commerce in them you can see the example of Facebook during the year who have rolled out a number of shopping features uh, but you can also see TikTok's doing the same thing Pinterest is doing it Instagram has been doing it, Google is doing it. So everywhere where you already have a lot of consumer engagement, you will see that those touch points are going to be turned into more shoppable channels. Then of course it remains to be seen what of those who of those players will actually succeed and what of those channels will actually be popular. Another pretty evident thing is that Delivery services and on-demand delivery services, not to mention them, are becoming more and more critical infrastructure for society at certain times. And you can see that now during the pandemic, especially players like Instacart and Uber Eats and Postmates and everyone has has surged during this time. And it's really almost becoming critical in some countries for them to, to be there. And the same goes for, for regular shipping and delivery services like DHL, UPS, FedEx, USPS and so on. And I think that's that's a pretty interesting thing because these these services before used to be a kind of a fringe thing something that of course we used but you you never noticed them and of course why would you use them you could go to the store and so on but now when more and more stores are closed they are also becoming more critical another takeaway is that b2b is probably going to continue surging and what i mean by that is like b2b e-commerce is 
and I mean it has been it has been on the agenda for companies since like 1998 right now but still it's it's um, it's something that will continue to search and something that I think we will see a lot more of B2B marketplaces for example uh, you can read a good article in TechCrunch about this and how they predict that B2B marketplaces will be one of the bigger um, players during 2021 22 and so on and I think you will see companies putting up a lot of effort into their own B2B solutions. But we will also see companies trying to reach more sales through marketplaces and other uh, other areas in B2B moving forward. Okay, that's it for this time. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, go to www.digitalbydanielinoneword.com and you will find my email address and other links to social channels and so on. And I hope that you will listen to the next episode. In the meantime, have a really nice and wonderful time. Thank you. Bye-bye.